0: From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told, where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the Conversation In this episode of Financial Recon, I'm pleased to once again be joined by LPL Financial's Chief Market Strategist, Ryan Dietrich, where we dive into what may be in store for the markets and the economy in 2022. Ryan, welcome back. You're our first repeat guest on Financial Recon, so thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Wow. That's a little bit of pressure. I wasn't (laughs) aware of that, but um, honored, uh, honored to be back. There's uh, plenty of things to talk about. So thank you, Mike, for having me.
0: Yeah, you got that right. I mean, where do we start? I I guess, like, let's let's go with the question on everyone's mind: Is the party over? Mm -hmm. Well,
1: we're going to say no, (laughs) and that is the logical question. You know, you had almost five and a half percent GDP growth last year. The truth is this year is going to be slower. Yes. But still, we might hit four, four and a half percent. You know, earnings season, Mike, as you know, is kicking off right about now. Earnings should continue to be uh, really strong. We're looking at maybe 50 percent earnings growth last year. It's going to tail off to maybe low double digits this year. But, you know, everyone's all oh, removing the punch bowl. Right. The Fed is getting more hawkish, probably going to hike rates. We know there's less fiscal policy. Those things are all true. But this stage of an economic cycle, we almost kind of want the Fed to take the training wheels off. We want some rate hikes to come in. You don't want the Fed, or I'm sorry, the government is to spend a bunch of money. You, know, you want the economy to grow by small businesses, by consumers, by corporate America. And we think we called our 2022 outlook passing the baton. That's the key concept, moving away from fiscal monetary policy to other things like a really healthy consumer who will help this economy continue to go. We don't think the party's over for the economy nor for the stock market market uh bull market
0: so one of the things that was also you know we're, we're talking about taking the training wheels off the economy is inflation yep. you know pal today as we're talking pals on the hill testifying and you know giving his his uh his statements and answering the questions from the uh politicians i mean do we think inflation's here to stay
1: Well, that's a good question, because I'm sure
0: when we did this a year
1: or so ago, I probably said we thought it was transitory, like Janet Yellen, like everyone at the Fed, like everyone who's Got a doctorate in front of their name, and then we realized, well, maybe it's not so transitory. But the good news again is, when you look at the year-over-year numbers, we do see inflation coming back down. Why did we have so much inflation? Well, clearly the bottlenecks in supply chain are a huge, huge part of that. We're aware, and you look at just the data we just saw last week. ISM manufacturing numbers came out. ISM services numbers. They said prices paid were going down. They said delivery times from suppliers were going down. Um, those were those are some good things, right? Those are some steps in the right direction that we're probably we're we're probably past the peak bottleneck. It's still bottlenecks. Don't get me wrong. But we're past those things. And again, there's light at the end of the tunnel, which should suggest, you know, we saw six or 7% inflation last year. We think it's going to be more like, you know, between three and 4% this year. And as the economic cycle ages and honestly, the economy slows down. Who doesn't want 6% economic growth with 1% inflation? That's just not how it goes. You get 6% inflation. (laughs) I'm sorry, 6% economic growth. You're going to have more inflation as this economic cycle ages and growth slows back to trend. Trend's about two and a half, three percent 3%. We think inflation's going to come down with it. Put a bow on this, Mike. You take a $21 trillion economy, you tell it to stop. You take a break for a while, month or so. Then you say, start back up. The truth is, you know, I'm getting older. Maybe you're getting older, too. If we go and played flag football hardcore for an hour and then just sat there for 40 minutes and then got right back up and started playing again, you and I both are probably sprain something or pull something. That is kind of the issue with the economy um, when you stop it until to start back up. But, hey, we see these supply chain issues slowing down, and that's probably going to help inflation come back down to, uh, to Earth.
0: You know, with supply chain, do we see... Some of the policies implemented by like the railroads, like, you know, I know Union Pacific has put some things in place where they're uh, charging for the containers like sitting around and things like that. Are those types of adaptations and policies by these companies helping the government and moving the, the bottlenecks longer?
1: Well, yeah, I guess you know the, the best answer to that is we're going to find out real soon with earnings season what corporate America <laughs> has to say. But I will say this, right? Again, when you, as we like to say at LPL Research, peel back the onion—the expression we use. Again, when you see some of the re- very recent December recent data that we've seen on some of these things, uh, things are flowing better. I mean, the truth is things are flowing better, and that was one thing right. we said, you know, a couple of months ago. We said, listen. Everyone's buying stuff For the holidays It's going to be a mess And my goodness I got my boys a PS4 Like you had to like Sell your arm To find a PS4 Oh right? yeah We just got an get Xbox
0: X and, Yeah uh, I
1: mean you, you couldn't even get them But now you can Right And right. that's just one example of it But again Now that we're past The holiday season Everyone's buying stuff What was everybody seeing Oh my goodness You're not going to be able To buy this Like in November We're here Oh you're not going to be able To buy it So everybody buys it Ahead of time And that's just the way Things work um, But but again We do think that Some of the recent data Says these things Are calming down Some of these things. That individual companies and the government have done, you know, are they going to work? Are they not going to work? The truth is, again, I think as we get back online here, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a lot about these chips, right? All these chip stocks, when China keeps on all these hardcore lockdowns and Asia puts these hardcore lockdowns, that's where we get these chips. That's the first domino that really impacts everything Um, over here as well and around the globe. And they're still doing some pretty hardcore shutdowns. They're trying to keep their chip companies and chip plants open, but it's easier said than done. But again, as we move forward with the pandemic, I mean, I mean, we, we do. We're optimistic again. We're going to get through these these um, these bottlenecks.
0: And with the, so, chips is a great example. Is there the potential though for further disruption in the in mm-hmm. the recovery in the chip market? Yep. If say something occurs with like Taiwan. Mm-hmm. I guess short answer is absolutely. You know, the, one of the bigger reasons
1: we had such a big spike in inflation last year, inflation mm-hmm. was calming down a little bit. In the third quarter, we had the Delta variant. Right. Nobody really accounted for the Delta variant. It happened. And it really did a number on chips in Asia and around the globe and really impacted inflation across the globe in the third and into the fourth quarter. Now, clearly, Omicron's been out there hasn't quite had the same impact on manufacturing and productivity that we saw with Delta, mm-hmm. Delta variant. My goodness, fourth quarter GDP should be like six or seven percent now. Omicron did come out later in the quarter, uh, but still, it doesn't seem like it's the same. You know, what's the four most dangerous words this time is different, um, you know, but but we're saying this time is a little bit different. But if there's another variant or something that happens, you better believe it. it. It could we could be right back to square one before you know it. Let's hope that's not the case, but you have to be open to that as an investor.
0: And, and with those bottlenecks, the one thing, too, that we had going on is people were getting Government money, like uh, yep. those enhanced child tax credits, were being paid up until December. Those stop now. We're in it's January. There's yep. nope on January fifteenth. No more payments. Is that going to, you know, help ease the uh, supply chain backlogs because people aren't going to be, you know, going out there and spending? Mm.
1: Yeah, unique situation there. I mean, it is. It's
0: also part of that taking the training
1: wheels off at the same time. You know, we talk all the time. Okay, look at all the debt our country has over thirty trillion dollars, whatever <laughs> the latest number is. But you look at the debt to equity ratios from small businesses and from the consumer, the consumer is in really good shape. Now, yes, it's because right. the government literally gave people money, but people did pay off a lot of debt. It's the first recession we've ever seen where FICO scores actually went up. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens here. But mm-hmm. I mean, look at the you know, look at the job number we just had, right? Last last week's jobs number it came in way lower than expected. I think the truth is the jobs market is much tighter than maybe we think. A lot of people are quitting. Four and a half million people quit their jobs in November, an all-time record. They're moving around. People are comfortable. You know, a lot happening, too. A lot of people are quitting, forming their own business, doing doing their own
0: Yeah, I think, what was it? What did they say? Like, filings for new businesses where you turn around and everybody's going to have their own business. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally this week, uh, Apple said they're going to pay uh, top engineers like 180 grand just to stay because everybody's leaving. Everybody's leaving, going off, doing things in these different areas that are fast growing and fun. And and they just want to, you know, the pandemic kind of had a shift in everyone's mind. Like, do I really want to work for the man or do I want to go work for myself? Right. And we're seeing that. I'll tell you, as, as a, just a hard-blooded American, I think it's great. I think people should go out there and try to make the best that they can and do their own things and be creative and kind of break the mold down. I um, believe me, I work for big companies, so some of us have to still work with <laughs> big companies. But, but it's exciting to me that some of these things that are going to be created and done, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to, it's not going to work for a lot of people. A lot of companies fail. A lot of restaurants fail. That's what it is. But people are taking a pitch and swinging at it. And I, I, maybe I'm always a little more optimistic guy. I think that's going to be a really good thing down the road and uh, help our economy. It might not be this year. It might be two, three. I mean, Microsoft didn't happen overnight, right? What's the Steve's job? But, but
0: that's what I was just going to say. Go like, Think of the the excitement of like when hopefully 20 years, 30 years from now, yep. You know, we're talking and it's like, hey, remember when? like this is the this is this renaissance when people come out and they the creator like that's why like not this is not a stock recommendation etsy and things like that the creator economy mm. is on fire yeah i'm going to paraphrase
1: this but steve jobs said a lot of overnight success stories took a couple of decades to happen, right? And I think that's kind of what we're talking about. ladies. Like, people right. starting these businesses and things now. And that's another thing about it, right? We know there's like $2.7 trillion excess savings that people have right now, right? Money mm-hmm. markets, banks, wherever. People have extra money. So you say, you know what? I want to take a year off. I'm going to take a year off and take a swing at this thing. But they use that excess savings so people can kind of go off the grid for a while because they know they're know not going to make a bunch of money right away if they are going the route of starting their own business or starting something with some friends. And, and it's just uh, it's appealing. You know, it really is appealing. But it also says, hey, people are comfortable. They're confident. And they've got the resources to do it. To me, those are all positive things.
0: Yeah. And, and that ties into something we've discussed on other episodes about the experience economy and that mm-hmm. people are going to be looking to take that 2.7 trillion and they they you know however they're looking at the world they want to spend it on um, experiences with folks so that's a, that's a whole nother discussion we could have right there but um yeah. you know right now <clears throat> electric vehicles are all the it's it's the hot political thing let's let's get people into EVs and i'm not saying there's no environmental benefits to it or anything like that but i mean our oil prices like really going to continue this rally per se? Yeah,
1: we think so. And a lot of it does have to do with policy. You know, a lot of the policy that's put in play over the last year and a half or so, or at least year, last year, I should say, have what have they done, right? They've kind mm-hmm. of impacted drillers. They've impacted dirty old crude. You're supposed to go to clean energy. What happened last year? Energy had its best year in the history of energy stocks up right. over 50%. And all of a sudden, a weekend, energy is the largest mover again. And again, it's because policy is kind of putting a crimp on those things. So there's still demand for it. So there's not as much supply. And our take is, yes, as the global economy continues to improve, uh, strengthen, if you will, with some of the crimps that have been put in uh, due to current policy. Hey, the energy is, makes up, I think we're just going to ballpark it, 3% of the S&P 500 is still historically low. The models that we run for our lpl advisors and their clients we absolutely have a little bit more than three percent in a lot of those models as we do think a cyclical value you know industrial mm-hmm. material, energy financials those in this part of the economic cycle with yields also going higher uh suggest uh you know crude can continue to go higher here i mean crude's what 80 bucks a barrel as we speak i think ballpark i mean it peaked to 140 i mean i know i'm paying three bucks so, a gallon right yeah like yeah, so we think a little higher crude uh, could be coming, and that's not – I mean, yeah, it's, it's a shame if you're a consumer you pay a little more at the pump, but normally it means the economy is pretty good, and, and that's right. something as investors maybe just have a little bit more energy stocks so you can help pay for that uh, higher
0: pump you're paying <laughs> Well, then it, it lends the question, if we're, if we're here now and mm-hmm. they're canceling flights and international travel isn't back to where it yeah. was – where are we headed with fuel, you know, fuel prices and energy prices then? Mm-hmm. Well, good, good question there. I mean, I guess you know, without the international demand,
1: that's one thing. Without the travel, I mean, so much of it, it is what it is. It does come down to the new variants and the and the battle, obviously, right. with, uh, with 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 COVID nineteen. But if you're uh, optimistic, we think it can go higher. But let's let's we talk a lot about crude. I mean, there are other commodities out there that have really done well, right? Industrial right. metals, copper, nickel, zinc, lead, aluminum. All of those, for the most part, have been really strong, had good years. You look at something like gold. I think gold is now six percent last year I think silver is down double digits but the, the precious metals did very very poorly last year but industrial metals did well hey to me that's telling a story that's a sign from the market that mm-hmm. there's global demand for industrial metals which means hey people out there building and doing things and that's a that's a positive sign and historically higher trending industrial metals also means higher trending global yields and you've got the 10-year uh, Swiss uh, Swiss yield above zero for the first time in several years the 10-year yields breaking out here in the US obviously and you you have the German boon, which has been negative for three years, it's flirting with going positive. So this is a global story wow. of yields finally starting to trickle higher. And again, people say that's a bad thing, but if you look back in history, Mike, higher trending 10-year yields, you know what happens? Stocks usually do pretty well, because it probably means the economy is probably doing pretty well. That's why yields usually go higher. I understand how it works, there's fears (laughs) of inflation and things. We don't quite think that's the case here. I think inflation's peaked, as our earlier discussion was. Higher trending yields could just simply mean the economy's doing okay, and stock market should do pretty well also.
0: Well, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard these stories down in your parts, but I mean, I've been hearing about how catalytic converter threat thefts are like through the roof because people are going for those precious metals. Mm -hmm. I mean, so (laughs) maybe we should have the uh, catalytic converter, uh, theft index and uh yeah i remember when that happened
1: a long time ago back when when palladium was high catalytic kind of like converters were getting stolen or it's it worth more than like the jalopy car you have or something you know yeah. it's like get to find fun catalytic converter it's worth something in there that's true and you I mean, we haven't heard as much about people stealing copper i'm sure it happens you know
0: that was a big thing yeah oh yeah time. with the and oh eight right like yeah, when they were going exactly. the abandoned houses <laughs> Exactly. But, um, you know, it's all part of the uh, just the, the,
1: the uh, refresh and the continuation of this um, economic cycle of growth. And, and, and also what happened last year, right? Developed international, Europe and Japan, they didn't grow as much. They still are clearly fighting COVID. Not right. that We're not here in the U.S., but we're a little ahead of them in the reopening. And those are some big parts of the globe last I checked. So as those parts of the reopening can take place, uh, those again
0: are just going to continue to gobble up those industrial metals, which should be a positive sign. And that's we're supporting that energy crisis they have over there right now, too. Right. So that's kind of lending to the inflation, like the U.S. Uh, exporting of, you know, yeah. energy.
1: No, yeah. exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, the U.S. uh We used to always have to rely on everybody else for oil. Then we started fracking, and then all of a sudden we were the largest net exporter. I'm not exactly sure if we still are, but um, you know, we 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 do a lot of it on our own, which in theory should help the price of oil. Try to keep a lid on it. We're not looking. Let me make something clear. We're not looking for a massive spike here in crude. Mm -hmm. I just look at I look at this Mike like a major um commodity super cycle, right? I think commodities Mm -hmm. they did terrible for a long time. They started to do well the last couple of years. I think commodities could be an area that in someone's uh, portfolio, you have a little maybe industrials, materials, um, energy, those types of groups. These cycles last a long time. Right. And these super cycles could be continuing. Commodities could be one that we look back five, 10 years from now. And you know, even though it seems like they're up a lot the last few years, there still could be a lot of life to a lot of these commodities in general. Just lump crude oil right in there. A lot of them should go higher.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I've noticed that too in the charts. Like you look at some of these things and you're like, They've been just hammered for so long. Eventually, every dog has its day, right? So... Yeah. I mean, just just literally last week, a lot of uh, regional banks and
1: financials just broke out above their level from 2007. All right. Like literally no, nowhere for 15 years and just now breaking out. Yeah. Financials had a big move, but it's like they've gone nowhere for 15 years. I mean, that's one of the groups why we like cyclical value. Not the only reason, but one of the reasons, hey, we all know tech. Tech's done amazing for, feels like forever. And we still don't have a problem with tech, but we just think something like financials, which has gone nowhere for 15 years now starting to take the baton have a lot
0: of upside here and and those entities who can benefit from rising interest rates exactly steepening yield curve rising
1: rates uh regional banks the conglomerates your banks in general broker dealers anything to do with yeah. financials or lending <laughs> usually do pretty well with the high steepening yield curve and higher yields that's right
0: so w- with rising interest rates i gotta ask what are you what are your thoughts on the uh you know number of rate hikes what do you think's coming in- What's your best guess in 2022? Yeah, I think I dropped my crystal ball twice on this one, but... (laughs)
1: Uh, You know, all just literally this week, right? Goldman Sachs said four. We've got different Fed members saying five hikes this year. Uh, We're in the camp It's likely going to be between two and three. Uh, Mm -hmm. So a little bit less than consensus. We don't see March. We see March as a live event, potentially a hike. We think it'll be be May. I'll just put it like this, Mike. There's been so much hawkish talk out there um, from the Fed and different Fed members. I think they're getting a lot of it out there. That way, just in case something were to happen, some rockiness, some slowdown, whatever mm-hmm. it is, they can kind of pull things back. I mean, they did that in 2018, right? we right, had nearly right. a bear market in December 2018. Then they said, "Oh, just kidding, we're going <laughs> to hike rates for a while." Then 2019 things did well, so maybe they could have up, upset the apple cart. And don't forget, this is a this is a midterm year. Midterm right. years historically are the most volatile year. A 16, I'm sorry, a 17.1 percent peak to trough correction in a midterm year. It is what it is. Um, you know, there could be some volatility with the Fed starting to hike rates. That means more mid cycle. That means more volatility. But just don't panic when you have the first rate hike, because again, you look back in history, the first rate hike, you know, stocks do six to 12 months later, they should do better than average normally because you're hiking rates early in an economic cycle of growth. And that economy we just talked about still looks pretty strong. So we should be able to withstand high uh, rate hikes. But to answer your question, we're somewhere between two and three, probably closer to two than three, which I know is not consensus at all right now. But we just think the Fed is doing a lot of talking um,
0: Mm -hmm. and probably not so much action when it comes down to it is how we think it's going to play out. Well, it seems like before they would want to raise rates, they'd rather taper. Yep. And once they get that rolling, then maybe hit you know hit the uh, rate button. Would uh, I mean would that be a safe assumption? I think so.
1: And then the other thing is the balance sheet runoff, right? We all assume right. they taper first, hike rates, and then eventually do it uh, the balance sheet runoff, right? The balance sheet's about nine trillion dollars. I think last time, 2015, that first rate hike happened. It took three years before they started to do a balance sheet runoff. In the Fed minutes a week ago, you got a couple of guys running their mouth or gals. I don't know who it was. So, some people saying, you know, look, we should start the runoff as soon as we hike. That shocked the market. That honestly shocked the market. And you know what? The Fed minutes are not supposed to shock the market. The Fed minutes are supposed to be a summary of everything we knew. But then you look under, the, under there and you found that. So we think that they're going to talk that back. We do not simply believe they're going to hike rates and start a runoff of the balance sheet right away. You know, they can yeah, talk about right. it and get it priced out there. That just feels like a lot All at one time to us, at least at this point in the uh, point the cycle. But hey, higher rate. We'll probably have a rate hike by May, and maybe another one in the second half. Maybe two more in the second half of the year. But again. Yeah, that's okay. That's taking those training wheels off and letting the economy grow on its own. And let, let let me just finish it with this. In 2019, things were pretty good from what I remember, right? Stock market uh-huh. did well, economy's doing good, earnings were pretty solid. All in all things were good. You know, the Fed fund rate was like over two percent. Okay. I mean, that's <laughs> we survived a period of over two percent Fed fund rate back in 2019. I think we'll do it again here when we eventually get that high over the next uh you know couple of years or so.
0: Well, it's just crazy to think like our kids right are their generation 4% is an insane, like, like that's what, like how we look at our parents or what have you, when they say, oh yeah, my my first mortgage was 10%. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, with that thinking, you know, I, I, am I wrong in my thought that if we raise a quarter of a point, if the market throws a, fit it's like what is wrong like we should want that like as an investor we want to get let's get this this thing moving let's raise rates get that first one out of the gate and kind of like you said take the start to take training wheels off
1: yeah can't disagree with anything you just said there i mean you you look at real real it's kind of hard to say Real rates, so where rates are, take away inflation. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're they're negative across the board, right? I mean, so right. as I, as people say the Fed's behind the curve. I, maybe that's what that means, you know. I don't think we need zero percent interest rates with what's going on right now. I mean, we are seeing record. True. We are seeing record earnings growth. We're seeing a consumer that's healthy. Blah blah blah. There's lots of stuff I can cite. The cons, the economy is still really strong here. I mean, gee whiz, Jamie Diamond, the guys were. I mean, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. Literally <laughs> yesterday, Jamie Diamond's out there. Now who knows whose book he's talking? He's saying this could be like the best year of economic growth our country's ever seen. In other words, better than the 6% we had the year before, I guess is what Mr. Diamond's saying. Uh, it's not our base case, but hey, I'd be great if it happened. You probably don't need interest rates at 0% emergency levels, but they're there. Be- and why are they there? Because we just came off the worst recession that we've ever seen in all of our lifetimes. Anyone listening to this podcast? And, and for that reason, that's why we did it. But it, it, you know, the other thing that gets me is how you know, Powell is all about employment, 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 until... President Biden said, you know what, you're sticking around another four years. And as soon as he got the green light, knowing he's going to stick around another four years, he changed his tune to, you know what, employment's looking pretty good. Now I'm worried about inflation. And I can't disagree <laughs> with the guy, but it's just kind of funny how he became more hawkish, a lot more hawkish, when he knew he'd stick around for another four years. And that's just kind of the way these things work. I get it, but it just uh, kind of makes you smile.
0: <laughs> I mean, with that type of flip-flop, he, uh, he could be interviewing for the Giants head coaching position. There uh... <laughs> <laughs> so... you go. But, yeah. but, you know, you you touched on it, Ryan, and we talked about it earlier, too. It's I mean, this is an election year, right? Like, yeah. let's let's make sure everyone knows that. So with it being an election year, you know, I, I saw it the other day. Nancy Pelosi or Speaker Pelosi is out there already starting to float more federally because of Omicron and this and that yeah. in, in relation to these classic value, you know, the retailers, things like that right now. Are they going to get another uh, life support line in the sense of these child tax credits getting extended or Mm -hmm. um, student loan for forgiveness? Or I I don't even know what else is out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I hear you. You know, great question there. Um, the, The truth is this. We've seen how hard it is to make the sausage in Washington, right, with the Build Back Better, with Manchin, how he said he agreed to $1.8 trillion, all of a sudden he didn't. He's a guy who said he agreed to it two weeks ago, and I he doesn't agree with it. Yeah, but yeah. we've seen this in history before, where you get right to the finish line, and then one person kind of has an agenda, <laughs> right or wrong, whatever it is, to kind of impact things. So we're a little optimistic about this. The Build Back Better getting pushed back, it's going to happen eventually. Getting pushed back, right. what does that mean? Right. Higher taxes are also getting pushed back. The S&P 500 earnings in 2022 are going to be higher now because taxes have been pushed back. And now Build Back Better is going to be a little bit smaller than we thought. So the tax is going to be smaller than we thought. My goodness gracious, a year ago when we did this, nearly everybody, and I mean, everybody said higher taxes are coming. You know why? Because right. that's what President Biden ran on. The guy ran on higher taxes and people voted them in. So there you go. That's what's going to happen. But it's amazing at how um, that hasn't been the play, right? we haven't had higher. Taxes yet it's going to come, but maybe on corporations and the ultra ultra rich uh, versus you know the average listener or the average consumer. Um, so those are some positive things. And Jeff Bookbinder, equity strategist on our team, was just talking today about it. Uh, you know, hey, these higher taxes are getting pushed back. I mean, yeah, we're going to get billed back better, and something's going to happen eventually. But boy oh boy, it's nothing like we um, we feared. I guess you could say in terms mm-hmm. of corporate tax rate from twenty one to twenty eight percent. My goodness, it's still at twenty one percent. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's it hasn't gone anywhere, which is kind of fascinating in a lot of ways. And maybe one reason why stocks did so well last year, because it sniffed out the fact that Washington is quite divided, 50-50 Congress, very small, um, uh, 50-50 Senate, very small lead in, in the in the House for the Democrats. It's right. just going to be tough to get anything through. And that's what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, and, I, and the thing with Build Back Better and potentially any other legislation that comes around this stuff that, uh, you know, people, uh, at least my clients know how much I love the railroad sector and that's one area in particular people don't necessarily get and i didn't understand this until a couple months ago really is that they're on the hook for all their own infrastructure Mm -hmm. and and this build back better they're now you're talking these companies are going to get potential subsidy or something to help them along with their infrastructure i mean in addition to lower potential tax rates you get an infusion of money i i mean that That sounds pretty good to me.
1: No, it absolutely does. And Warren Buffett's been in some of those railroads, right? So he's probably not the worst guy to put uh, somebody's coattails on. But I mean, just transports in general. Yeah, airlines, there's issues there. I'm right. not going to talk about it. But other parts of transportation, there's a lot of reasons to think as this economy grows. I mean, OK, maybe COVID still sticks around and people don't do as much as they want it, but you're still going to need your goods and services shipped to you, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. That's what this is all about. That's what the government's trying to help grease the wheels a little bit to make sure things get to people uh, just that much sooner when they need these things. Um so that's a interesting point of view but one I cannot disagree with that the transports railroads there's some groups that could do really well this economy keeps uh keeps uh, keeps afloat.
0: Yeah it's it's just it's going to be real interesting to see what survives out of that uh legislation and yes so forth. So sure. now I'm asking you to dig into your bag and get your third crystal ball. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh You know, looking at the rest of 2022, what do you think with the election? Are we uh, November whatever day is here? Are we are we going to have a split Congress, one party or uh, the opposition takes takes the cake?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when you look at history, let's go this route. Mm -hmm. Um, We know whichever party wins the presidential election tends to lose seats two years later in midterms. That's just because, again, they're not the party that's quite a. You know, quite as worked up, if you will, and <laughs> and 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 the other part of this, and going to get me in trouble, but it's what it is. You know, President Biden's Gallup poll, um, um, confidence in President Biden, it, it's quite low. It's not as low as it was with President Trump. And if you do a regression of that, you potentially they're going to lose 30, 30 to forty seats in the House uh, mm-hmm. based on previous presidents where their where their presidential, um, Gallup polls were right before midterm. So if it stays low like it is, you know, we absolutely could have a, I only. I think it's only five seats. I think five seats what the Republican needs. In the house to flip it, right. um, so that that looks like a. I hate to say a done deal because there are no guarantees in this industry, but that looks pretty close. The Senate one could be a little, it's 50-50 now, it could be a little tougher, but honestly, the way things shake out, we, we wouldn't be surprised at all if, if the House and um, um, the Senate flipped Republican. Now, here's the catch, right? We don't see a lot, we don't see like a, you know, a red sea or whatever you want to call it, a red wave. I mean, we think it's going to be more, you know, we all heard blue wave, blue wave, blue wave for the longest time. And then the election happened, and yes, President Biden won, but every, the other things came in so much closer than expected. Some of these other special runoff's, and things we've seen right. have supported the, the, the Republicans to actually pick up some seats. And that's kind of how we see it, which is actually how history usually plays out. And that's, you know, divided. Washington's OK. You got the the the, 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 um, um, the president on one side and maybe a little bit of power on each side uh, for Congress with the Senate and the House. And that's kind of uh, how we see it playing
0: out. And that's what history would tell us as well. You think the market throws a fit if we get that first couple of days, if we, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get the right one way or the other?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's all about the big wave. You don't want too much power. So if there's a massive red wave, so to speak, or a blue wave, for this matter, whichever one you want, yeah, um, yeah. you know the, that either one. But here's the thing that I think is really powerful. Again, I mentioned this before, so I've got it right in front of me. I'm just going to look at it real fast. There have sure. been 18 midterm years since 1950. The average pullback is 17.1 percent. You get volatility during a midterm year. Here's where it matters, right. Mike. Because I know we're talking policy, but I'm also going to spin it to talk investments. What does this right. matter to someone? Yeah. It's not Oh, absolutely. A year later, after the low, and nobody knows what the calendar year low is. I understand that. But if you hold the yearly low one year off those lows, you're up 32% on average from the midterm year lows. has by far the largest one year off the lows out of the four-year presidential cycle. So it's kind of one of those things because the third year of presidential cycle, what happens? It's hard to get more rate cuts. This is kind of funny. I mean, the Fed and the, and the presidency are supposed to be separate. I get all that. <laughs> year two, you tend to see more hikes. You know what happens year three and year four? tend to get more cuts, all right? Yeah. I, it is what it is. Um, you get more things that grease the wheel to, for that president to get reelected. So year three tends to be pretty strong. Um, just so you know, in 2018, I know you remember this, 19.8% correction ended on Christmas Eve, 2018, one year later, up 37%. Um, We don't don't quite think there'll be a 20% correction this year. I'll tell you what, though, 10 or 15% could happen after what we've seen. And again, if you're willing to hold and have your eye on the ball and long, you know, marathon, not a sprint, whatever you want to call it, be aware there's going to be a pretty big, scary pullback probably sometime this year in a midterm year. That's normal. And if you're willing to hold through that for another 12 months, you will probably be very, very happy when all is said and done. From your mouth to God's ears.
0: <laughs> I mean, I I totally agree with you. And I mean at some point it happens. And th- the fact of the matter is the people listening, they're not in it for the short term. They're just yep. looking at it long term. And it's just nice for them to hear it from someone other than me. <laughs> so um glad to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um one of the things though that we always hear about is that the next recession mm-hmm. and i think muhammad el arian is really like he beats the drum on this is yeah. the next recession comes from a, a recession start because of a policy misstep in, in your opinion does that come from you know some with somehow some way the fed navigating this intricate dance they have to to do
1: yeah, I mean, I, we agree. I mean, usually, usually, a policy mistake is kind of where the um the music stops. We obviously had a hundred year pandemic a couple of years ago, and that was not average. Um, But but that that is true. And you know, it's we we haven't seen an inverted yield curve yet. Right? You tend to see an inverted yield curve. About 14 to 18 months or so before a recession officially starts. So, we're not there yet. In fact, the yield curve has been steepening over the last two weeks or so. So, that's a that's a positive. But clearly, you know, we all say to help build research, you know, um, bull markets or really economic cycles, they die of excesses, overspending, over leverage, overconfidence. When everyone's really excited, that can be when something stops. I mean, we don't think people are wildly excited. They're still pretty, you know, pretty tame with what they're doing. When you look a lot of the spending and things that are going on especially leverage people are nearly leveraged like they were um you know previous market peaks; those are also potential positive signs there. But clearly, when it comes to the Fed, I mean, are they massively behind the eight ball? Are we going to continue to have huge inflation? Should they have been hiking rates before now? I mean, these are all things we don't know the answer to. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, but but those those could be those could be something that could um could um impact things. Like we said, I mean, do they do they start to taper? Or well, they are tapering? Do they just taper real fast? Do they hike at the same time and do a balance sheet runoff all at the same time? Hmm. I you know. That's never happened before, and that to me feels like a little too much too soon. If they did that, that could be a policy mistake that, hey, the stock market might throw a fit. Don't forget, the stock market pulled back darn near 20% in February of 2018 because the Fed did one more rate hike and the market threw a big fit. So the market could... Could throw a big fit again if it doesn't uh, quite see eye to eye with potential Fed policy. One thing I do like though about Powell, he's not a doctorate. He's very blue collar. He's just a normal guy. He seems like he's kind of telling things as it comes, and he's not trying to, to confuse you. I mean, Alan Greenspan's got a famous quote, and I'll paraphrase it. He said, "You know, if you understood what I said, it means you don't understand what I said." Right? I mean, he's not. Try- <laughs> he was trying to confuse you. How's not like that. He's very upfront and explains what's going on very, very nicely, I think. Um, so we'll see. You
0: know, things can always yeah. change, but that's kind of how, how we see it here. It is, speaking of, is, in, is housing, is that inflation or excess? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, yeah. We, we'd
1: say excess as of now. I mean, it's you know, you look at the lumber prices. though, those things. That's crazy. Yeah. Lumber crash. It came all the way back. I mean, it's just still another. It's just a shortage of everything. I mean, it truly is the everything shortage. And and housing is just another thing. I mean, just all these people quitting. You know, maybe they're selling their houses, going somewhere else. Maybe they're selling to get a, a smaller house to take more money to start their own business, like we just talked about. I mean, there's there's lots of things. But boy, oh boy, as soon as the house goes on sale, like, the people come right back in. I mean, what the average house is up like what twenty five percent or so in the last year and a half. I mean, that's that. Is, that is a pretty absurd um to be honest and it probably needs to calm down a little bit but is it a housing bubble is it another excess like 2006 2007 you know as of now we're going to say no we're not quite seeing the speculation that we saw you know that the back right. then when people were selling and doing just some really really wild things but um yeah, that one feels a little feels a little frothy, some of the prices as it pertains to housing. But, you know, hey, um, everyone is worth, in all likelihood, if you own a house, you're worth a lot more than you were. You know, the stock market's up a lot, and your house is up a lot. Um, so you, you should be feeling a little more, a little healthy, a little uh, richer, which is true. <laughs> if you look at the net wealth, I think it's $145 trillion in the U.S. according to the third quarter data, and the fourth quarter's not out yet. So we're literally the richest we've ever been as a country. People say, oh, look at all the debt, look at all the debt, record debt, record debt. Yes, it's called denominator blindness because the denominator's um, one part of it, but the numerators exploded higher as well. So, of course, there's more debt. People are worth a ton more money, so you're going to have a little bit more debt. So, on a debt-to-debt-to-equity ratio, consumers are still pretty healthy, and that's something I think the media stirs up that don't point out the fact that, that wealth has
0: never been higher. And do you think with the housing, banks and consumers are both now more protected because of the, you know, as a byproduct of 2008's, uh, 2009's, you know, legislation that what is it qualified mortgages and so forth like that they they have to meet certain requirements because i mean to me it seems at least Mm -hmm. that is kind of working
1: yeah no, I agreed. I mean, you know, what, just what banks could do in terms of how much they could leverage with the money that they had. It used to be like, I don't know, like 40 to 1 or something. Now it's 7 to 1. <laughs> I mean, they can't they just by rules and regulations, they can't do the same things that they did and it, and it is hopefully working in that it's helping a lot of people, sometimes helping people from themselves not giving them a mortgage that maybe they shouldn't have gotten, but they would have got, you know, 13, 14 right. years ago without even without even asking
0: right? Oh yeah, I, mean, I remember Abby I and mean, it, it was Yeah, it nuts. was uh
1: yeah. Crazy times, you know, it's like, but, um, so yeah, I think some of those things are in play and you mentioned financials. I already kind of talked about it, but I mean, yeah. that's, that's one group. Okay. Maybe they can't give as many loans as they would have wanted to, but boy, they, we're going to find out real soon with a lot of these big banks that are going to report earnings in a couple of days, but financials is that one group that really does look pretty strong. And it's just hard for me to say with financials breaking out to all time highs, regional banks, breaking out to all time highs, right. money center banks breaking out to all time highs to say, the global economy is about to fall apart. And I know things have been a little scary at the start of 2022. I get what's happened with tech and some of the ARC and the Kathy Wood uh. world. But there are other parts of this world that are saying, no, you know, it's just a rotation and it's not the end of the world. And when banks and financials, um, I'm sorry, financials, and energy, better known as Finergy, are both breaking out the yearly or multi-year highs, that's not a bad thing. And we
0: think it's a sign that global economy is going to continue to be pretty good in 2022. I'm putting on my old fart hat here, but it reminds me of 2000, Mm -hmm. you know, with tech, like everything and anything tech, 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 and you have any tech issue and it's like, you know, the, uh, the PTSD of tech (laughs) comes back. Well, I'll say this, I can't totally disagree because some of the moves
1: they've had, obviously a lot more companies are making money than we're making money then. But I'll just say this, look what value did in 2001, 2002. Value stocks went up, all right? It's a harsh reminder I didn't know. This is when I first started the industry. I just thought you had to buy a semiconductor or a networking stock. I thought that's all you could do. <laughs> there were other companies you could invest in. That's why I know what you do with your clients and listeners here, you have a well-diversified portfolio. We're neutral tech. We were overweight tech for a long time. We're more neutral tech here. But if tech does underperform, it's what, 26% of the S P 500? It's going to hurt the S&P 500, but that doesn't mean everything has to crack and everything has to go to zero. Right. There could be some other areas. And I'm looking at you financials and energy and industrials and materials. Some of that money moves there. Maybe <laughs> it moves on over. And again, that, that, that's, it wouldn't be great if technology crashed. Um, you know, In fact, we don't think it's going to happen. But hey, if it yeah. did, some other groups could hang in there. In fact, maybe do better is that money leaves, money sloshes around. It's going to go somewhere.
0: And uh, that's something to, uh, to remember. I, I call it pockets of value. There you go. I I mean, because you're right. I mean, there's there's a certain brilliance of being boring at certain points, right? Like, you know, I think Mr. Buffett has uh, proven that. Uh, yeah I mean you know small. some of the
1: best people uh, did through <laughs> through March and April 2020 were just you know people that didn't even know what was going on because they yeah. didn't do anything. They just continued to add their 401k or just do their thing every two weeks and bought things really, really cheaply because it was on sale. What's the old saying right The stock market's the only place things go on sale that <laughs> everybody runs out of the store screaming. I mean yeah. that's the truth, you know, and it's it's easy to say. You can tell your right. clients, I can tell our advisors, oh, it's going to be a fifteen percent correction this year, which I think honestly, there's probably better than fifty fifty chance of that, honestly. But it'd be a buying opportunity, blah blah blah. When it happens and you turn on CNBC and you got Robert Prechter and all these super bears on TV yeah. saying the end of the world's coming, Harry Dent, they they bring out the same ones. You should buy when you see all these guys. By the way, but still, <laughs> when, when when you see them, it's going to be really scary. That's why you have a plan in place before the storm comes. The time to make a plan is not in the eye of the storm; it's before the storm comes. So just be. Aware midterm year bed starting to hike aging cycle yep. we're going to have more volatility don't panic when it happens use it as
0: opportunity and um you know i think in a year or two you'll probably be pretty glad you did well that's i'll say with you know my clients at least that's our financial survival plan because the worst time to be making a decision is under duress you want to be thinking okay. about these things now that's uh that's straight from the uh brad ted klontz behavioral finance financial psychology textbook so i'll I'll leave it with this ryan The the one last uh, question for you um you know what's keeping you and the research team at lpl what what keeps you guys up at night or gals
1: (laughs) no i hear you i guess right now i would say the um Oh, a, a Georgia Bama game, right? That was a late game last <laughs>
0: night. Oh, that one, that one kept me yeah. up. A, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're on a lot of coffee today. <laughs> yeah,
1: I hear you. I hear you. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a a hodgepodge of what all we just talked about. I mean, the truth is, again, the cycle's aging. When you look back in history, when the Fed starts hiking rates, yeah, stocks usually are higher a year later, but you could have some volatility in there. What if, you know, the Fed is behind the eight ball? What if the supply chain issues continue? What if there's another variant that's something that could really, really knock us out? And honestly, if you and I would have done this two years ago, I doubt if hundred year pandemic would have even been in the conversation, right? I, mean, I don't think it would have been. Yeah, no Worried about it then? So, so you know, it can be something no one even knows about. But I think the key concept is again, it's hard to sleep at night when things are going down. <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I remember we all remember what happened a few years ago. Um, but but to still have that long term play and use pullbacks as an opportunity. Um, there's still just a lot more opportunity out there than, than there is to be negative. And I guess I'll sum it with this. You know, negativity sells, right? I mean, you look right. at social media or even CNBC. I mean. You whoever's going to throw it out there. It just sounds like you're on the same team as somebody. Oh my goodness. Did you see this? This is bad. You got to know about this, but the people got, you know, a lot of guys like myself and other people that use, use quantified evidence-based investing to show you what's going on, led by earnings led by still tailwinds. that we're seeing a fiscal monetary policy. Those are the things that are going to help this bull market continue to go. So it's just, you know, who you want to listen to. And I think a lot of people have been proven wrong over the last couple of years and hopefully, um, you know, having a long-term plan, um, is, is going to help a lot of investors. And I know a lot of people listen to this podcast and your clients do.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. The, f- the fear-mongering gets mm-hmm. old. But like you said, when uh, the markets start plummeting, plummeting that's when uh, we know you're you're uh, up late at night because you're on, uh, what, CNBC Europe at 3 a.m. Eastern Time. <laughs> Or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. Or, or sometimes like eleven o'clock like at night go on with China or Australia. I've done some of those too before you go to bed, I guess. But
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so but hey, I appreciate it as always, man. Thank you so much for uh coming on and just like diving deep into all these topics. I really uh, know my listeners appreciate it and um you know hopefully uh we'll circle back on some of this here later on this year and see uh see where things stand.
1: No, I appreciate it. The honor is all mine. And thank you for the holiday card. I did get your holiday card to send you. Thank you. I was, was appreciative and very kind. You didn't have to do it, but thank you. So yeah, uh, any time, just, just let me know and I'll, I'll come back and we'll do it again. Thank you. You got
0: it. Thanks, man. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of Flagship Wealth Management Group, LPL Financial, the Pinnacle Financial Group, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member... FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through the Pinnacle Financial Group, a registered investment advisor, and separate entity from LPL Financial. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor.